Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Project 303, there is a body on the floor on the second level. We need AV ASAP. There was a second intruder. By the time he arrived, he was gone. So we believe the husband came in after the initial break. How's he going? man who shot you, did you happen to get a look at his face? He was wearing a mask. You still haven't found them yet, have you? We're doing everything we can. It's been over a month. Up until now, the only witness we've had is your wife. She won't talk. Have you spoken to her? I've tried. She looked at me like I was a monster. Like she didn't know who I was. Your wife may very well be our best shot at finding you. But the longer she doesn't talk, the longer he's out there. That's him. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 330. Out now on Digital is Rage, a crime thriller that stars Matt Theo and Haley Beveridge as a married couple who must contend with the repercussions of a violent home invasion, and Richard Norton as a detective whose investigation leads him down a complex and twist-filled case a slow-burn neo-noir that examines the far-reaching consequences of a violent act. The Australian-made Inset Rage also marks the feature directorial debut of John Balaz, who I'm happy to say joins me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. John, I thank you very much for your time today. No, thank you. Pleasure to be here. So reading up on the making of this film, the inspiration, I guess you could say, or the idea for the film came from a real-life case which happened in Connecticut. I think it was like... 2007 2008 and it was a rather brutal home invasion case that made international headlines and i think hbo made a documentary of it um back in like the early 2010s as well what was it about that case that really struck a nerve to you as a person and also as a, as a creator a filmmaker that made you really want to kind of venture down the kind of themes in in story that 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 you know real life occurrence had well, first of all, I have to say I'm very, very impressed by your research <laughs> into this. So, yeah, uh, it's it's just it was just one of those cases that just you know struck a nerve with me because um, it just really demonstrated to me the I suppose the invisible parts that we all have as, as humans that are so unknown to us. So you know you have this loving family. Um, I think they were called the Petit Petit family. And, um, you know, two beautiful girls, a doctor and, you know, a wonderful um, uh, wife and mum as well. And then out of nowhere, these two individuals just completely turned and shattered their world upside down in the course of one night. And, you know, I guess it just struck a nerve with me because it was like, well, you know, the, the question is how can how can anyone do this to someone else? You know, it's mm. just, just to me it was just such a gruesome crime and I'm like, well, the, the ramifications of that, you, you really can't move on. You can't survive that. And, you know, given how strong the actual father was afterwards with the interviews and things like that, it's just, you know, it, it's just one of those things that really, really stick with you. And, and at that time I was, um, you know, when I first discovered about the case, I was getting married. I was thinking about, you know, a family further on down the track. And it just, it just really hits a nerve because it's, it's, it turns out to be your worst nightmare, you know, and, um, 
it, it, it was just scary stuff, you know. And, and it was just something that I, I think I just based a little bit of something on. So it was it was the seed um, that got planted in my head that kind of then just grew and grew into another story afterwards. You wrote like a short treatment, I think it was like in 2013, 2014, but you weren't quite ready yet to make it like go any further with that material, were you? What was it about yourself at that time that you thought that you just had to wait a bit until you could really tackle what you wanted to do with this movie? I guess at that time, I didn't really understand the full notion of, like, you know, as, as with all things, you know, you, you, with experience and age and maturity, you understand and you look at things a little differently. Um, when you're someone in your mid-20s, you don't understand what it's like to be a father or, or a husband or, or have, have that kind of responsibility. Um, and I just felt like I needed to understand that a bit more if I was going to make a, a film that an adult audience would want to see. I, I kind of felt like I needed to understand that material and, and, and you know, make it as real and as relatable as possible. You know, um, in my in my early twenties, I was more focused on doing some, you know, action special effects movies and things like that. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I was I wasn't ready with my craft yet. I wasn't I wasn't learning about um, you know composition. I, I I didn't quite fully grasp the the theory of filmmaking at that stage yet. Um, and that just came with experience and age and, and just maturity. The screenplay is written by Michael J. Cospia. He's a New York set screenwriter, right? Um, how did you get a an American on board to work on an Australian production? Well, what happened was after my um, treatment, it was a 10-page treatment, um, Matt, Theo, and I agreed to make this film. Um, and all we had was the treatment. So I said, well, look, I'm, I'm not going to go ahead and write this because, you know, writing is a whole other discipline that I'm not too familiar with. Um, so we need to find a scriptwriter, and I basically put up a post on Stage 32, um, which is like an online forum for writers and filmmakers. And overnight, I had 300 plus emails from screenwriters all around the world uh, wanting to to do a uh, you know a, a pitch and a write for the for the story outline. And then uh, I stumbled. Michael's one came through the list, and the thing that drew me about Michael was that he already had a feature film made. Um, an Australian feature film made already, um, which was the Suicide Theory, and that got, you know, that got some very very good press because of the script, and and um, he actually won the Austin Film Festival, Dark Matters in two thousand and fourteen. So I just really gelled with him, and then you know he we just started talking on a personal level, and you know he was just telling me that he's in the Bronx and and you know what what he's up to, but he's he's dark. His, his understanding of dark subject matter really was the most impressive part because um, we, we just gelled on every level, um, and then yeah, it was just it was just a back and forth game of ideas and and um, you know the, the age old script collaboration. You mentioned Matt Theo there. Um, he's the star of the film. Um, you know, it's really interesting. You you work with Matt before on short films. What's it like when you are working with an actor for a long time on films that you know? hard work go into them, but they are shorter in runtime as compared to a bigger production like a feature movie. Do you see things in him as an actor that you didn't see before that kind of came to the fore uh, in the feature? Uh, I, I suppose you really do get to know someone very well. Um, 
especially on a drama and a dark drama like this, where they have to really be vulnerable and scream and dive deep into areas and recesses of their psyche that you know you don't normally have to dive in on a daily basis. But you really do get to know a person um, on a feature film, uh, especially when it's a low-budget indie film like this. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. um, you, you've got that, you've got that. Um, closeness and you've got the access to the cast that you normally wouldn't on a bigger production um and just just by having that kind of access you, you have more time with them you have the ability to to really draw out um a performance to really draw out an opinion um you know a behavior that you want to portray on screen i i did see something in matt from the shorts and you know because of the tiny amount of time we do have on shorts um it, it, any impression that was made had to be a lasting impression and and to me it was in between the takes when I saw him focusing and getting ready to to roll um I saw some sort of intensity and and, and a concentration but also a discipline um that I thought well he's taking this very seriously um and I'd like to see what else he can do and obviously on the feature he he did feel the weight of it on his shoulder because you know he's the face of the film and and he, he knew that going in and there were some days when, you know, he did feel it and, it and the pressure did get to him, but he did overcome it. He overcame it with just by going again and again and again. And, you know, it just became a routine and a habit going, well, I know how he works now. I know what he needs to get a performance out of him. So I'm going to do everything I can as a director to accommodate him for that. Um, but, yeah, it was just it – was, it was great. You know, when you work with a friend – it's good because you do have that, that back and forth with them, but there's also that professional respect for one another as well, which never wavered. Um, we always had that on set, so it was great. The role of Madeline is played by Haley Beveridge. I read that you auditioned something like 108 actors or so uh, for yeah. that role. Um, what was it about Haley that really struck you that fit the role of, Madison, uh, of Madeline so well? Okay, so Haley came in as the very last person as we were packing up the audition space. Right. Um, we actually didn't we didn't think she's going to come in because it was packing up time, <laughs> you know. Yep. And then she walked up and she, you know, she she's coming up the stairs like, oh, okay, she's here. She, you know, she didn't confirm the time or anything, but she's here. So she was a very very last person we saw. Um, and what really struck out was when a lot of people come into audition. They kind of need, you know, two, three minutes to get into character. With Haley, she comes in and she's bubbly and fun and beautiful. And then when we go, right, scene, we're good to go, the switch, it, it was the switch that really, number one, it impressed us, but also mm-hmm. it's very scary to see. It's actually a terrifying thing to see how amazingly and effortlessly she can go from being Haley to being Madeline. And, you know, actors hate people like Haley because it, it looks effortless to her to get into the role. And what impressed me was her ability to cry on cue, on demand. Like she could almost control the amount of tears that came out of her eyes. It was just phenomenal to watch, absolutely phenomenal. And it, it was just this raw ability to absorb emotion and then just, you know, spew it out on, on a screen or in an audition in front of us. It was just amazing to see. And that was the thing that really impressed us, the, the fact that she's able to take direction and she's able to twist that direction to really give us something that we didn't even know existed. Um, 
and yeah, we you know we, we did a callback with her, and then, but by the second callback, we're like, yeah, no, nah, she's 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 got it. Like she has to be the one. And the thing is that she, her and Matt don't look like the, a, a couple that would necessarily, uh, I suppose, be attracted to each other, mm-hmm. which worked amazingly because that is exactly what we wanted. We wanted them not to have any chemistry. We wanted them to not to, to be able to almost be the separate ends of the of the spectrum of of um of a, a relationship um it just it just worked because they're, they're two very different people in real life as well the scenes of uh, sexual violence in a movie are very confronting how do you approach filming scenes like that i mean especially when it comes to the actors involved Haley, etc do you is there long you know, talks about what we're going to do, how it's going to look like on film, etc. Um, talk us through doing scenes like that, because I imagine with an independent production as well, that things have to get moving fast. You have to get those scenes in the can, and sometimes maybe, I don't know, I'm just speculating here. Sometimes maybe there isn't enough time to delve into the, you know, the ins and outs of how these things work. So how does how does it all work for you and your process in those scenes, especially with Haley? Well, I mean. It was my first ever scene like that, um, and you know I, I watched uh, Irreversible prior to, to that just to see how they did it. I mean, mm, tough nobody, film. nobody, yeah, it is tough, and I've got to be honest with you, like nobody, nobody enjoys doing that kind of set. Like the actors wouldn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy directing it. I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to glorify it with too many camera angles, as as you see in the final film. Um, and I actually didn't know how I was going to shoot it up until the night before. And to be honest with you, I wasn't even going to shoot it. I wasn't mm. even going to shoot it at all. But it was Marlene, um, the producer, who came up to me and goes, no, no, John, you have to show it. You have, you have to show this event happening because this is the thing that breaks her. This is the thing that shatters her. And the audience has to be there. And then, I, you know, I just made the decision, like, hey, I'm just going to leave it on the ground. I'm just going to – I'm just going to – put the camera down and force the audience to be in that room and not give them an option to look away. Um, so that, that was a conscious decision, but I, I got to be honest with you. It was, it was really Haley that made that, that day really, really easy for me because she didn't make a big deal of it. She just went, right, this is just another scene we have to shoot. Uh, you know, she was laying topless on the ground. It was a close set. Vicky Blinks did a good job of closing the set. And, um, you know, really, she really did look out for, I suppose all the women on the, on the shoot um, and just making sure that they're comfortable. Um, but yeah, on that day, you know, Vicky made sure it was a close set and and that um, Haley was comfortable. I did have a conversation with Haley about the scene, but it wasn't going into detail about what was going to happen and how it was going to happen mm. um, because I didn't know the ins and outs of how we were going to shoot until, like I said, the night before. But I think what Haley did to me as a director was just give me the ability to relax and, and breathe a bit on on um on the set, and really by her not making a big deal of it, I then was able to relax and not make a big deal of it myself. So it wasn't the, it wasn't a case of the director making the actress feel comfortable; it was the actress making the director feel comfortable, which yeah. I, you know I thought was a very strange thing, but you know these things happen, and um you know it, it was only a few takes of it, but. On the other side, a lot of people asked me about Haley, but I also felt for the um, the other actor, the, the yeah. person actually doing the assault. You know, it was it was hard on him just as much, mm. just as much as Haley, because 
you know, that, I mean, there's scenes of violence in there. It's 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 a scene of sexual assault, and and nobody wants to be doing that. Nobody wants to be acting, you know, as that as that horrible person or or the victim of that. So it was hard on everyone, but that's why we really did keep it down to about two or three takes maximum. Um, and I knew, I told the crew, I'm like, look, get the lighting right, get your focus in order because I don't want to do this again. Yeah. Um, it's two, two takes max, guys, and let's just get on with it. And, yeah, I, um, I'm actually very surprised by the reactions of it um, because, like you said, doing, doing um, scenes like that is quite risky in indie films. But I think the response that we've had is that it's being handled, uh, you know, I, I guess in a mature and, and uh, sensitive manner. Yeah, and it works. I think what's important is that it works for the story. It's not exploitation. It's something that works right. with the story and the characters, and that's what makes it uh, so impressive. It works so well. Um, I want to talk about Richard Norton. Um, first off, the dude's 71 years old, and he looks fantastic. <laughs> that's, I just want to say that first off. Um, secondly, um, I imagine for yourself, I know with your short films and, and, and doing some research on you, you're a big fan of martial arts and martial arts films of the 80s, of which Richard Norton really made his mark in there. What was it like working with Richard uh, uh, um, in your movie, um, looking at the guy that's appeared in films like, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, et cetera? Yeah, um, I'm yeah. sure it would have been awesome. Well, I'll tell you something about Richard, is that he is the best-looking 71-year-old I've ever seen. That's a damn sure. Agree. He's a, he's a silver fox. Um, yeah, look, um, Richard, I, I, I'm pleased to now call him a friend. Um, we, we chat weekly you know back and forth and he Richard's the kind of guy he suffers no fools so you really have to earn his his respect mm. and by doing so you got to be on your game you got to be you know you, you can't talk bs so he doesn't have time for that um but just yeah i guess i've always grown up you know admiring the guy and just you know it, it was almost like a dream come true to work with someone of his caliber but what really struck me was just how down to earth he is and how how much he just enjoyed his time on set. Uh, he's mentioned a few times that, you know, he's done the bigger films and the bigger productions and he much more preferred to do the smaller indie stuff than, than that. And I kind of see why, because it was almost like a little family affair, you know, and he gave everyone the time, he, you know, even now to like, you know, the, the, the runners or the, the assistants or the person doing the catering, he, he never once portrayed that, you know, that the, the diva that goes off in the caravan and all, or their trailer or something like that. He was just a really down-to-earth guy that made my life easier as a director because he was approachable. Yep. He he was collaborative. He he took direction, but he also gave suggestions as well. Um, so not only him as an actor grew me as a director because now I know, I guess, you know, how to direct and he kind of gave me the confidence on, on how to direct people of that calibre. But he also gave really, really good suggestions as well. And, you know, often, often the times the takes that he suggested that he wanted to do something different were the takes that were put into the film. But, yeah, he, he taught me a lot. I learned a lot working with Richard and um, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. The thing that I really appreciate about your film and, and there's many things I do appreciate, but one of them is that you allow the story to run its course and the time needed for it to run its course. Um, the length of the film is two and a half hours, but two and a half hours is needed for the story and the characters involved. Something that really upsets me these days is I, I think people treat movies a little bit too much like fast food these days. They want easy, digestible bites. Um, I think what really 
peed me off in the last couple of years when the Irishman came out and people were complaining, went for three and stuff in hours. And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's his art you're watching yeah. here, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. When you have a movie with that length, do you have pressure to cut down on things or is it a thing of this is what we're doing and we're not going to take any suggestions as to how this story should unfold? Okay, so this is going to be quite a big answer because I'm having a really, really hard time dealing with that right now, to be honest with you. I'm, I've never been used to my name or my face or my, my anything being out in the public. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not used to that. And now if you, I'm Googleable now, which is something that I never thought would happen. Um, you type in rage, it comes up, and I'm like, well, I guess this is what I wanted. But at the same time, it really does open you up to vulnerability with critics and reviewers and, and just users and bloggers. And yeah, the biggest divide I've seen so far about rage is the running time, mm-hmm. the length of it. Some people like yourself, and thank you for that, they do appreciate it and they see why I needed to do that. Other people, I think it's almost like I've insulted them by demanding their attention for two and a half hours. Right. You know, how dare I take them away from their iPhones or their iPads or their social media for two and a half hours to sit down and watch this film? How dare I? Um, How dare I give the characters and the shots a, a little bit of extra time to breathe so you can actually go inside these characters' head and see what they're thinking and just allow them to be there. And, you know, it's almost like I'm insulting their senses. And I actually had a conversation with a filmmaker friend of mine and he, he reminded me of a conversation I had a year ago when I had a rough cut ready and he goes, well, uh, John, I told you that this is a long film and I gave you the opportunity to go back and cut it down. And you said no. And then I said, uh, and in the conversation yesterday, I'm like, oh, really? I said, no, why, why did I say that? He goes, because you told me that you wanted to challenge the viewers. Mm. You didn't want to give them fast food. You didn't want to give them the the expected indie short, uh, indie film. You wanted to challenge them. You, you wanted to say, you know, this is, this is the vision. This is the artistic vision of this film. And it wasn't until my friend told me that yesterday that I'm like, you know what? I actually did stand by this. I actually wanted wanted it to be this one time. And looking back at it now, I'm like, I probably wouldn't have done anything differently because it's a rare thing for a film, for an indie film, to be a two and a half hour film shot on a budget of, you can't buy a nice car for that kind of budget. And right. it was one of those things where like, I'm sticking by my decision and whether the critics like it or not, that's up to them because I know that some people who really do appreciate story, appreciate character development, will sit down and not notice it. But the people complaining will sit down and binge watch four episodes of the crime show. Exactly. So Thank you. I was thinking exact same. I was going to follow it up, exact same thing. We're living in the binge generation where people could dedicate hours upon hours yeah. upon one story done in episodic kind of fragments but still one story but if you release a movie whether it be rage whether it be the irishman etc it's too long and i think that's bullshit i think i think so too and and you know i gotta be honest with you matt like the, the, a few days ago when you know we started off with getting some really really good reviews and feedback and you know obviously there comes a second wave where you know um 
people do give their opinion on it and you know the opinions did come in and they were starting they were skewing on the negative negative side and uh, like i said the lot of negativity was the, the running league that did make me question a few things and it did put me into some sort of uh you know it just put me in, into a heavy-hearted mindset <laughs> for, for a few days um but now, you know, coming out of it and just going, no, that's it. That was my vision. That was my, that was my, the reason I did that because I wanted to watch that. I yeah. would watch this. I would do that. I, I love long films. I love the art of cinema. Um, and I think people just need to remember a time before streaming, if they dare to do that, when you would go to a movie for two hours and watch, and watch, watch a story unfold and not in bite-sized commercial content, you know. Um, to be honest with you, I think streaming is is killing our attention um, and it's it's just feeding us more and more this instant gratification. And I, I wanted to challenge that to start off with, you know. Um, yeah. Whether or not I succeed, that's up to the audience. Um, but it was on purpose and I'm sticking by it. Well, my thing is, and I think especially in regards to your film, is that your your film, the story has stakes, and stakes carry weight and you need time for that weight to be carried over a story. Um, and that's, that's my thing when I, when I watched your film. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree with wholeheartedly with everything you said there. Hey, I want to talk about um, Prima Lux Films, which is your production company. Um, you yes. and your wife, yeah, you guys um, formed it and you, and you run it. Um, this is a Prima Lux production as well. Before that, you were doing short films mostly in that kind of like action territory. Um, Post-Rage. Are you looking to do more films like Rage, more feature films, or are you going to look, going to look back at some of your action stuff? Uh, okay, so obviously I've kind of got a taste of this kind of stuff now. Um, you know, the the, the thriller. Um, I'm watching a show right now called Behind Her Eyes, and I'm mm-hmm. like, that's, that's exactly the kind of stuff I want to do. Um, that's really, really good stuff. Um, Marlene and I are in the works now, and we're actually very close to getting it um, to make an announcement soon. Awesome. Regarding the status of it. Um, where we are, we are working on another feature, um, which we are in talks with the US distributor, um, and uh, almost like a co-finance between Australia and US. So uh, we are working on it, and it's probably going to go into production later this year. Um, we're just waiting on some advice about the tax offset because um, obviously, you know, it's going to change this year and all that. We just want to know how we can navigate it. Um, but the next one will be a more commercially viable action thriller kind of film um just to i guess for prima lux films to get more of a footing in the industry mm-hmm. um just just to just to showcase our range and our ability to almost be like well we can create art like rage or we can create commercial popcorn like this next film that we're going to do but then Marlene said look once we do that she's given me permission to go back to the more <laughs> rage style stuff. Um, yeah. So we're not really limiting ourselves to genre. We do like stories like rage. We do like um, neo-noir films. Um, but the next one is is going to be a bit more commercial, a bit more audience friendly and accessible to an audience as well. Um, so that is happening. But in between that, we do want to do a few more action short films. We do like mm-hmm. action. Um, you, know, uh, you know, we started out, like I said, our short films were action as well. They are really well received. Um, but yeah, I, this is this is the start for us. Like we're we're, we're in no rush, and um, you know it's taken us twenty years to get here. And yeah, we're just going to grow as the industry grows. Really. 
So for everyone listening out there, Rage available now on demand and digital for people on the stage. You can check it out. iTunes, Apple TV, Vimeo on demand, YouTube, people in Australia, you can actually check it out on Vimeo. Um, I, re- I refer everyone to the Prima Lux Films um, Facebook page because they got like a lot of links and stuff where you can find out where the film is um, available and where you can watch it and some really cool kind of behind the scenes stuff there as well. And look, I just want to say, that uh, I'm really happy that you joined me today, John, and congratulations with the movie. And look, when you, whenever your next film comes out, please reach out because I'd love to watch it and I'd love to talk to you about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it.